quick question. Um, how many here are already members of New Hope Church? So about half of you. Okay. How many here are interested in becoming a member of New Hope Church? A couple of, a few of you. All right. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, so what we're going to be doing is we're, we're going to kind of go over a few different things um, over the next few weeks. And one, we're going to talk about the history of New Hope Church. It's not a long history, but there is some history. Um, we're going to talk about our doctrinal statement, um, what we believe. And then we're also going to talk about how our church is structured. Um, and that'll, probably, that'll be the last part of the structure of our church, um, just so that we know how, how the church is governed and um, how, we, how we function as the body of Christ. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of where we're going. And as I'm going through these things, feel free to raise your hand, ask a question. Maybe you don't want to raise your hand, just ask a question. <laughs> um, because I want this to be interactive. I don't want it just me up here just blabbing away and you guys, oh, I've heard this all before. Or, you know, um, but I'm going to hand out a few, few sheets to you real quick. Uh, we're not going to go over this, probably not all of this today, um, but we'll go over what we can get through. All right, so let's, let's start off. Let's talk about the history of New Hope Church. And it's interesting because I'm up here, and I've been a part of this church for not even two years yet. And so, um, and there's people sitting in our pews right now who were there at the founding. Um, and so I may defer to you guys a bit on this part. Um, but as, as far as my reckoning, uh, the, the church was officially founded in uh, 2013, all right? Um, at least that's what it says on our website. <laughs> um, but I believe you guys were meeting beforehand um, as a Bible study. We technically were incorporated in 2011. 2011. So that's when we were incorporated, but we didn't start meeting on Sundays probably. Okay, okay. So you incorporated as a church in 2011. Just as a legal entity. As a legal entity, according to the state of Michigan. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
And, uh, and there was a group, a group of people that came out of Five Points churches. There were a few people that, yeah, a few people that came from Five Points. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there were some other folks that joined in. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I should have you come up here. I need this. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it, you know, they they started started meeting on Saturday evenings um, as a Bible study, and then eventually uh, started fellowshipping on Sunday mornings. Um, and now, was was Matt the first pastor? Yes. Okay. And so Matt Johnson was the first pastor, and he um, was leading this this group. And uh, eventually, New Hope Church was meeting at one of the elementary schools in um, Oxford. Uh, and uh, you know, I wasn't a part of that, but I was a part of a church way back when that. Met in a public building, and I remember waking up early mornings and setting up and hauling equipment and after church storing equipment and um, and so it, it's a challenge. Uh, if have any of you have ever been a part of that, I know some of you were a part of that. Um, uh, and so a, a, a new church is, is not an easy thing to do, um, particularly if you don't have your own building, if you don't, don't have a ton of funding. Um, there's some church plants that, that get a ton of funding right up front, um, which makes things a little bit easier. But, uh, but even then, it's not easy. Um, but the, the, the goal was to, to establish a church here that would be biblically focused, right? Uh, a church that would uh, preach expository messages through God's word. Um, and so it wasn't, uh, a lot of churches today, they, they focus on topical messages. Um, I, am, am I losing any of you? When I say expository and topical, and the differences between, yeah. You can explain it. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Basically, a, a topical message is you kind of come with, you come to scripture with an idea in mind. Well, I want to preach on marriage. Well, let me find marriage passages in the Bible, or I want to preach on um, holiness, and so I'll find. Uh, I'll get to my concordance and I'll look holiness up um, and see what passages speak on holiness. And there, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. And sometimes there's there's good times to do topical messages. Um, but uh, I, I believe, and I, I think our church believes, that the majority of the time we should be preaching through Scripture and let Scripture be guiding us. Um, and so that's why we'll, we'll pick a book of the Bible and we'll, we'll preach all the way through it. Right now we're going through the book of Acts. Before that, we went through the book of Hebrews. Um, you know, Advent's coming up, and so when Advent season comes, we'll, it'll be a little bit more topical. Um, and we'll do a series on Advent. Uh, and But then, start of the new year, we'll we'll probably start another book because um, we're almost done with Acts. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> we're in Acts 27 today, and there's only 28 chapters, so we're getting there. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so that was, that, that's what we wanted to do as a church. We wanted to uh, have a place where God's word would guide us as a people. Uh, does that make sense to you guys? Um, and now it's 2023. So, you know, when, whether it's 2011, 2013, whatever the year is, you know, that's, that's not a long time. Um, the, the church I was pastoring beforehand, when I was there, we, we had a, 
165th celebration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's an old church. But when you think about church history, is it that old? You know, um, the, the, the church that began in Jerusalem, well, that was almost 2,000 years ago now. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's all relative, right? <laughs> um, so we're young, we're very young, um, and, and that's a good thing. Because, you know, God is teaching up, teaching us. He's shaping us. Um, you know, even even today, you know, we're we're still trying to understand from God exactly how He wants us to to function as a church, exactly how He wants us to minister to the community that He has us in. Um, and so we try things. Some things work. Some things fail. And that's okay. Uh, but God, he, he's directing us, and that's, that's the most important thing. Um, I, I kind of wanted to open up to you guys. Um, if there's any other details that I'm leaving out uh, about our church history, or if you guys have any questions about our church history, No one? I explained it that well. <laughs> I guess maybe, maybe I'll add that uh, we, we, as a church, we haven't had our own building. So that's been yeah. both a good thing and a bad thing, I guess I would say. So traditionally, yeah. some churches have the overhead of needing to have, carry this maybe debt to have a building mm -hmm. or... Uh, or just the burden of maintaining a building, um, those kind of things. And, and so far in our history, we haven't had that. So from a blessing perspective, it's been good, but also a challenge from availability of space. We uh, have been more home-focused in, in a lot of our activities that we do outside of Sundays. So, so again, that, that kind of changes our focus as well, too. We don't have a dedicated space. Pastor Corey doesn't have an office with office hours. At a building, he has an office at his home. Um, we have prayer gatherings at various locations through the week. Uh, have youth group that meets at at our home. We have just so we see all of these different kind of things. Um, it, it just is kind of a different focus. It's again, it's, it's kind of representing or identifying that the church isn't the building. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I guess we want to. That, that I guess that's kind of a, a side benefit of it. There may be a time that we it might be a really good thing to have a building for our ministries that we want to do, um, but we've been been able to do it so far. Um, yeah. It was a challenge for us when COVID hit. We were uh, no longer able to be in Oxford Elementary School. Um, we tried virtual, just a virtual preaching, virtual attendance on either Facebook Live or, or some other streaming service, and it, it just didn't work well. Technology wasn't always working. Um, it, it just didn't help with community. So we made an effort yeah. to try to get back in person as quickly as we could, and we found this space available. Uh, so now we're continuing to, to rent this space on Sunday mornings. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's good to point out. Thank you for that, Jay. Uh, you know, the fact that um, one thing I, I really like is that we don't have a building on Sundays, um, or we do. A, we don't have a building outside of Sundays. <laughs> Just, let me put it that way, um, because it has driven this church to be more home focused, um, and it's it's uh, kind of I think instilled in us this uh, kind of attitude of hospitality. Um, where we have to open up our homes. Uh, and uh, to me, I, I see that as a blessing. Um, and even in the future, you know, if, if God decides to bless us with a building of our own, um, I hope we don't lose that attitude, you know, um, where we can be opening up our homes to one another. and Because uh, I, I think it's there's something about being in people's houses that, 
develops community. Um, and that's really what we desire, right? Uh, like Jay said, you know, the church is not a building. Um, the church is the people. And so if we can develop that community with one another, uh, the stronger we'll be as a church. Lorraine, you look like you want to say something. I see it as more of a first century church model where they mm-hmm. would meet in homes. And, yeah. And, you know, they, they originally had, I think of where Paul met Lydia, who was on the bank, mm-hmm. on the river. And yep. So our model is definitely more like first century church model. Yeah, and it is true. The in the first century, the the church had to meet in people's homes. A lot of that was because one, the church was brand new. But it wasn't just in homes they were meeting. The early church in Jerusalem would meet in Solomon's portico, and so they would gather there as a church, as a larger gathering, because there were thousands of them. Um, my guess is that would have been on Sundays. Uh, you know, I wasn't there, so, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, but it, but then they would gather at, in homes as well, because, you know, it's hard to develop tight community with thousands of people, you know, day of Pentecost, what was there, 3,000 that came to Christ, um, and so the, I'm sure the apostles probably said, well, I'll, I'll look after this group over here. Peter, you look after this group over here. You know, James will look after this group over here. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, but they, but they would also meet in a large gathering as well at Solomon's Portico. Um, and so, you know, some of it has to do with what was available to them at the time. Um, and people would open, open up their homes. You know, when, when Peter was arrested, remember in the book of Acts when Peter was arrested, and where did they go? Where did the believers meet to pray? You guys remember? The, the, the little girl that answered, or didn't answer, the girl was in the home. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, actually, it was, uh, no, I'm blanking on the name. Um, the the aunt of, I think one of the, uh, one of the seven, not the apostles, but the the seven deacons. Um, I think it was one of his aunts, um, and yeah, and then the servant girl came to the door and. And when Paul preached, yeah. and that young man fell out the window, was that a home? Yeah, that would have been a home. Mm-hmm. Yep, and. Um, where was that, in Ephesus, I think, or uh, somewhere in Asia, maybe. Um, yeah. And even Christ preached in homes. You know, I think of the guy that was lowered down in the mat, that was a home. Yeah, that was a home, yeah. And so Christ, when he came, he would go to synagogues. He would preach in synagogues, and then, um, yeah, he would also go into homes. Um, Mary's and Martha's. Yeah. And what's interesting, the, the early church, too, they would, they would go to synagogue as well on Saturdays. Um, and, and so it was kind of, you know, everything was brand new to them, right? And so how, how do we worship our God? Well, we've always gone to synagogue. Why would we stop going to synagogue? Um, and yet their, their understanding of God's salvation was now clarified through Jesus, and they, they actually brought the gospel to these synagogues. And the synagogues became a place of evangelistic outreach. Um, as did prisons. Yeah, as did prisons, yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts or questions on our church Maybe history? I'll add one, yeah. more, one more comment. In the timing when we switched from Saturday to Sunday, um, our group that met on Saturday nights wasn't just a group that was coming just the new hope at that time. They were going to another church on Sunday morning. Oh, okay. So, so at that time, I think uh, my family uh, would meet at Bonnie and Jerry's house on Sunday mornings also and, and kind of met as a small small church in their home 
for for a while listen to a sermon and maybe some other things together worship together okay so we had a, a, a few of us would get together uh, just a, in a smaller group as well too um, but weren't meeting formally with a bigger congregation during during those couple of years on Saturday nights so, yeah so um, and so it's kind of interesting some of our kids would invite some friends to come along with us to go to church at Aunt mommy's house so we'll get <laughs> bagels and cream cheese with with, with church, so anyway, it was kind of a fun experience for them, but but it kind of, uh, I guess we'll have to ask uh, Mike and Alita what some of their friends thought of their church experience. So, <laughs> well, Mike is right behind you, you yeah. can ask her. <laughs> so, uh, well, one of her friends, her name came up recently, but it was just kind of an interesting conversation, but uh, uh, anyway, so, so we had to make a decision as a church, do we keep meeting on Saturdays in addition mm-hmm. to Sundays, or... Can we can can we continue to sustain that activity, um, or or are people going to have to choose where they go to church on Sundays when we move to Sunday morning? So we, we ended up switching to Sunday mornings, and it was there was a lot of thought that was given in, into making that switch. We wanted to be more traditional to meet on Sundays, mm-hmm. I guess. So that was a consideration for us also. Okay. Yeah. And some people didn't stay with us on Sundays then, so they yeah and stayed with their with their churches. Yeah. Yeah. So, Micah, how was church in those early days? I liked it. Bagels every week. Bagels every week. Yeah. You were the guitar player. Wow. Maybe if you started playing guitar again, they'd, they'd come back. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts or questions concerning our history? Why do we leave Five Points? Um, uh, Amy and I and, and our kids were, were heavily involved in ministries at Five Points. So we had a lot going on all the time and found that um, I was leading a group on Wednesday nights of, of middle school, fifth and sixth grade kids. Amy was leading that group of elementary age, age kids. And our ministry was down in Auburn Hills. Um, our kids were continuing to grow older, wanting to figure out how do we be involved more with our community here in Oxford, and, and those two things weren't weren't working well together. We had a burden for our town, for our community, and we just couldn't continue to uh, put in the effort that we knew needed to take place down at Five Points at Auburn Hills to the church family there, and, and still minister to our community here in Oxford. We, we just weren't able to do both, so we had to had to leave there in order to start something new here. So that was our mission, our intent, our goal in ministering to the community here in Oxford. So we were, we were purposeful in doing that. Um, not, uh, we weren't, our, our intent when we started wasn't necessarily to start a new church, but it was trying to figure out how do we either get involved with a local church here, um, and then things kind of just happened, so. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of how the gospel works, though, isn't it? That's um, location sometimes prevents us from continuing in one fellowship. Um, and so, when you're when you're, you know, when I was a new Christian, I, I heard this missionary speak who was from the Ukraine, um, and he talked about how. Uh, the church that he was helping to pastor over in the Ukraine, that people would travel up to 50 miles to come to the church there because that's the closest one they could find. Um, And, you know, it speaks to the need of the gospel going out to to places like that. Um, But uh, you would hope that someone from that church who had a call might think to themselves, 
well, these people are traveling so far, maybe we should plant another church, right? And so location sometimes prohibits us from continuing in fellowship with one another, um, but it's for a greater purpose, right? It's for, uh, it's for Christ's kingdom and the expansion of Christ's kingdom. And we've been reading through the book of Acts, and what do we see? We see people going out, you know, and what does it say at the beginning, you know? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Um, and so location has a lot to do with why churches get formed. And, um, yeah. Anything else? If not, we're going we're gonna to move forward to uh, some theological issues. Now, I, I had two handouts that I gave you today. Uh, one is a New Hampshire Confession of Faith. Um, the other is a statement on marriage, gender, and sexuality. Um, we'll, we're going to look at the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. We're going to start out there right now. Um, I doubt we'll get through all this this morning. Um, there's a lot here. Uh, but bring, bring these back with you next week, okay? Because I probably won't be printing out more copies. <laughs> um, but there, there are certain things that to, to be a church, you need to be united as a people, right? And to be united as a people we have to have a, a central doctrine, a central belief that unites us together as a people. Does that make sense to you guys? Um, and, and so we're, you know, when, when you're born into a family, you're united by blood, right? Um, and so my sister is always going to be my sister, no matter how much we disagree with each other or or fight over different things. Um, she's always my sister. Um, and, you know, but with, with, when it comes to the church, uh, God is creating a, a family of his own that's united under him, that's united under who he is and what he has done. Um, and so it is, it is a unity that comes through an agreement that we have with one another about what we believe and what we hold as true. And, uh, and so this is uh, where we come to this confession here. Uh, now, confessions, uh, they're, they're only as good as they are true to God's word, right? Um, and so if we take a confession, um, we need to be wise about which confessions we take. Um, and then there's certain points of doctrine that uh, certain teachings that we will hold as in view as like this is extremely important for us to believe. And then there are other doctrines that maybe are lesser import, of lesser importance. And there's reasonings behind that as well. Um, and so when it comes to matters of who God is, when it comes to matter of how God saves, those are of high, high importance. Um, when it comes to matters of, say, eschatology, right? Um, study of last things, you know, how, how, how's God going to bring an end to this? Well, sometimes certain teachings like that are not as clear. Um, I, I, now, don't get me wrong, eschatology is very, very important, and it still should be held high, but it's not a matter of our salvation um, if we have disagreements there. Um, now, there are certain things about eschatology that would, would get into the first category, and, we'll, and those are hit on in this confession. Um, but other matters of eschatology, maybe not so much. We can have disagreement here and there and still fellowship with one another. Um, and so there's categories or different levels of 
what we deem as important. Um, and what we have here in our confession of faith uh, are categories that we deem as extremely high importance. Does that make sense to you guys? Um, any questions about that before we jump in? So just to be clear, are you saying that pretty much everything in, in the confession of faith that we're going to go over is in the first category, or is there... I, I would say it is. Pretty much everything, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was reading over this again last night, and uh, just kind of wading through it, and... Um, the majority of it deals with either, you know, the scriptures, our belief about the scriptures. It deals with our belief about God, and it deals with our belief about God's salvation. Um, the, that's the majority of what's, what's in here. Um, now, there, there are certain categories, maybe towards the end, like there's one on civil government and our views of civil government. Um, would I put that first here? Maybe not. Um, but I still think it's extremely important. Um, if we disagree on civil government, I don't think a person's going to be out of the kingdom because of that. Um, they may need correction, but um, yeah. Um, but but the majority of this will, will fall into the, the highest tier, I would say. I would say in, in Christendom there is some disagreement on form of baptism also. Yeah. So this, that's on point 14. Yeah. Um, so the form of baptism would be one of those. Yeah. Our, our church believes baptism by immersion, that, and that's what this claims yeah. in this document. But, so that might be maybe another one. Presbyterians, for instance, believe. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and so there's, uh, maybe, maybe I should try to make this a little bit clearer. So the way I view it is there's three different tiers. There's the first tier that deal, deals with you need to believe these things to call yourself a Christian, right? If you're going to be saved, you must believe in these things. The second tier kind of deals with how are we going to function as a church? Um, and so baptism would fall into that. And so it's very, very important, but if a Presbyterian, you know, you know, if there's a Presbyterian who believes, you know, I need to baptize my infant, well, that doesn't necessitate that that person's not a Christian. Um, that, that person's still a Christian, still a believer. Um, we just disagree on this. Um, I, I think there's valid reasons for uh, baptism by immersion after someone believes. Um, but he, he would probably come at me with arguments from Scripture as well. And, um, and we can have that discussion, um, but that doesn't mean that either one of us are outside of the faith. Uh, and then kind of third-tier level ones would be we can have, we can worship together because it doesn't necessarily deal with how we function as a church, but there's, like I said, eschatology, you know, whether you're a-mill, pre-mill, or um, post-mill. Um, I don't know if you guys know those terms or not, um, but those are differences in eschatology that people hold. Um, and I, I believe you can worship together as a church no matter which position you hold there. Um, now, some churches elevate that. Um, there, there's some churches, maybe some more fundamental Baptist churches that will be like, no, you got to be a uh, pre-mill dispensationalist to be a part of our church. And they, they have reasons behind that. Um, but, you know, here at New Hope, we, we, we believe that we can fellowship with one another despite disagreeing on some of those finer details. Does that make sense? And so three levels. The highest level, you have to believe to be a believer. Second level has to do with how we function as a church. Third level is kind of, okay, here's differences that we can have yet still worship with one another. These don't address style kinds of things either, though. No. But they, 
but these may influence our styles. Right? Yeah, they could, yeah. I just want to call that out as well, too. Yeah. Because some, some churches will, will elevate style of worship, style of a service, uh, and those kind of things yeah. at a higher level than... Yeah, you see churches split over, you know, what, what type of music, you know, um, and... Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some churches that won't allow musical instruments. Translation of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. King James only, right? Our intent is to bash those churches, but our intent is to make clear our our position. Yeah. Yeah. And so we don't hold to like you got to worship a certain style or you got to read the King James Bible or, or the ESV, you know, we're not ESV only. Um, you know, I, I preach from the ESV, but if better translation comes along, I'll, I'll move to it. I got no problem with that. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of, kind of where we are as a church. And so let's, let's jump into these things. Um, the first one of the scriptures um, says, we believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction, that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter, that it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. Um, and so, it, you know, basically we believe God's word, right? Uh, it was, it is inspired by God. It, um, he inspired men, different men throughout history to write this. Uh, and we believe that it is truth and that it, it is effective. You know, I, I think of the, the first scripture that they give there, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, uh, covers a lot of that. Um, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And, and so we, we hold true to this book um, because we believe that it comes from God himself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Any questions on that? This can be really offensive in our culture, though. Sure, yeah. Uh, so I just want to, want to point that out. Yeah. So we as a church believe this, but our culture finds this to be really offensive. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't think it's just our culture. I think it's, I think since the, the dawn of time, this has been Satan's goal. Did God really say? Um, and, and so he attacks God's word wherever he can. Um, and, yeah, what, in, in our culture today, uh, there are certain things in our history that have driven the thinking of our culture away from Scripture. Um, and part of that is in the late 1800s, uh, uh, a thing called higher criticism uh, came about where... They, and this came out of Germany, really, um, but a lot of our theologians were influenced by the Germans, uh, the German theologians, and it, basically they wanted to kind of take Scripture and be the judge over it. That's basically what they were doing. And so, you know, well... Well, we're going to criticize Scripture and decide, you know, what's really historical, what's probably not historical, you know, did Paul really write this section? Um, and, and these are the questions that they took to it. Um, 
And so you see that influence in a lot of seminaries today, unfortunately, um, where scripture is uh, kind of taken taken apart with, with scissors and um, and uh, it's it, is, it was a form of trying to invalidate God's word or certain parts of God's word. Um, so but Scripture. Yeah. The confession says that we hold that this is without error. We recognize that many different translations yeah. come about, and those aren't to be contributed to as uh, the original manuscripts are what are inerrant, and we know mm. that we are trying to do the best that we can to. Uh, yeah, and, and so. Yeah, you're, you're kind of delving into a, a lot of different things there. Um, yeah, sorry, I just, because what, like, yeah. I, I, I feel like that is a correlation that is easy to be picked at when we hold to scripture being in error, without error, mm-hmm. and someone comes at you with the King James only people think. Yeah, anything, yeah. Anything across different translations. It's not that we are holding to one English translation being completely in error because it can have errors in it, but we're just trying to translate things that we didn't have exact translations before. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess in our own help to prove the inerrancy of Scripture, it's just, I guess, uh, Yeah. Guess. Yeah. Does that make sense? Or? No, no, it does. Um, and, and so, what we have today, actually, is we have more material today than we've ever had when it comes to God's Word. The amount of manuscripts that we have discovered um, and found, and what's interesting, you know, like when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, you know, and, and this deals with the Old Testament, the reliability of the Old Testament, you know, that was um, the the Qumran community, and they're dated to about 200 years before Christ. Well, they found all these scrolls in these jars, right, and all the critics were like. All right, now we'll we'll see how much they changed the Bible. Well, guess what? They pulled them out. It it didn't change. Um, it, it was pretty much word for word. They pulled out the Isaiah scroll. They had a full Isaiah scroll, and it's pretty much word for word, exact. Uh, yeah, and so Scripture, you know, it it has been preserved for us. And we, we have a vast wealth of historical manuscripts today, more than any other historical documents have. You know, um, the Iliad, the Odyssey, uh, those things, it, it doesn't even compare um, to what we have with Scripture. Um, and, and so we can be very, very grateful to God about that. Um, but but it's, getting back to the point, This is this is our standard, this is, how God communicates to his people. Does that make sense? Yeah, go. Labor the point, but just so for my yeah. information, I won't do this with everyone, but when we, when we say that this is offensive to people, mm-hmm. I mean, is it that, it's, that the, we believe that the scripture is God's word and not, you know, not that it's man's word? Or what? Can you unpack the, the offensiveness is we say it's authoritative. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. yeah, people do not want an authority over themselves. Right. Um, you can't yeah. think for yourself, or you are narrow-minded, or you can't question things. Yeah, I just don't even understand. That's another important word in that one too. Yeah, yeah. And so what we've tried to do since day one, right? You know, since we were deceived by the serpent, is we want to become our own gods. Well, we can't do that when we submit to God's word. Um, and so that's why there's the attack. Did God really say? Um, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we want to be our own gods, and then we also want to be the gods of... Yep, yeah. You want to be the gods over other people. Yeah. All right. Um, of the one true God. And now... One thing I want to say about this confession, it is from 1833, and so some of the language is a bit older than what 
the parlance that we use today. And I use parlance, uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't use that word. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and so some of these things, uh, if you have questions about them, raise your hand. I'll, I'll try, to, try to explain them. Uh, so of the true God, we believe that there is one and only one living and true God an infinite, intelligent spirit whose name is Jehovah, the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth, inexpressibly glorious in holiness and worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love, that in the unity of the Godhead there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinction but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. It's a mouthful there, right? <laughs> um, it, it does. And basically what this is saying, there's one God in three persons, yeah. right? Um, and it, it goes into more details than that. Um, but, but these are things that we believe about God. Um, we're, we're not polytheistic, right? We don't worship multiple gods. We worship one God, and yet God has presented himself to us in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to you guys? It's hard to explain to. Okay. Any questions about this one? No? I thought someone would ask about Jehovah, the name. Nobody did. Well, it came about, I think, probably earlier than that. Um, I think it came about during the Middle Ages. Uh, what it is, it's actually a combination of the words Yahweh and Adonai. Um, they, they took the, the consonants from Yahweh and the, 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 the vowels from Adonai and came up with Yehovah. Um, and now it's, people say Jehovah. Does that make sense? And so Jehovah is really a combination of the two Hebrew words that we find in the Old Testament that describe God the most, Yahweh and Adonai. Um, and said, so, oh, we'll, we'll go with Jehovah. I don't know why they did that, um, well, the Jewish people just wrote a YHVH. Yeah, yeah. They didn't put the vowels in. They didn't put the vowel. Well, original Hebrew doesn't have vowels. Um, if, if you go to the original Hebrew script, there, there's no vowels in there. Um, the the Hebrew that we have today, uh, there are vowels vowels added in. Um, and so even a lot of the things that we have in our Old Testament, we're not exactly sure how they're pronounced, um, whether we have the vowels correct or not. Um, but, yeah, I mean, language is an interesting thing, you know. I have um, a question. Is it true in the Indiana Jones movie that it start with an I rather than a J? <laughs> I've never seen that movie before. Oh. He's yeah. not on the J and almost fell through the bridge. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and so languages develop over time, um, and so originally Hebrew, the, they had no vowels. I mean, obviously, when they spoke, there was vowel sounds, um, but when they wrote it down, you know, part of it is just, you know, you recognize the word and you know how to pronounce it. Um, yeah. All right, let's hit one more, and and we'll we may call it quits there for there today. Um, so, of the fall of man, we believe that man was created in holiness under the law of his Maker, but by voluntary transgression fell from that holy and happy state. In consequence of which, all mankind are now sinners, not by constraint but choice. Being by nature utterly void of that holiness required by the law of God, 
positively inclined to evil, and therefore under just condemnation to eternal ruin without defense or excuse. And so this is kind of talks to the, the, the nature of mankind, right? Um, since the fall, uh, since Adam and Eve sinned. Um, and it's, it's basically s- stating that, uh, one, we, we're all guilty of sin, right? Um, uh, they are, it, sin is um, what we are born into. That's how Scripture describes it. And yet we choose it freely as well. Um, how, that, how that makes sense, I, I don't know. Um, that's one of those kind of mysteries that uh, if you think about it too long, your brain will hurt. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the Trinity, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this this one, too, is offensive to our society, isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a bad person. Or even, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that we're born innocent. Um, biblically, that's just wrong. Um, we are not born innocent. In reality, not just Yeah. 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 And so there's a lot of people, you know, and that's why we see a lot of the excuses that we see today when it comes to people's behavior. Um, you know, it was my upbringing or society shaped me into this way. No, you were, you were actually born this way. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a disease that makes Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts or questions on... On number three of the fall of man? You know, I, I just want to make sure. I, I know you mentioned that if you think about it too long, your brain's going to hurt. But when they say not by constraint, but choice, what, uh-huh. what do you mean by the constraint part again? God isn't pulling the strings making us sin, right? Okay. It's in our nature. Yeah, I mean, so we, we yeah. the, the forbidden fruit, we are born sinners. Yeah. Even before you make a choice, to, uh, I just wanted to make sure that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but when we when we do sin, it's our choice. Because of our nature, yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That's a good question. Uh, any other thoughts or questions on that? And then I really do need to close some prayer because <laughs> we're running really late. All right, let's let's pray. Uh, God, we do thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for the truth that, that comes from your word, and we thank you uh, for what we're learning here. We, we pray that you would unite us as a church, um, help us to understand what it means to be uh, covenant members of a church. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.